Hi, I'm Wade Eyerly, and this is Rebuilding the American Dream. In this podcast, we introduce you to thought leaders who are shaping the lives of the next generation to discuss the challenges and innovations influencing higher education and how we can adapt to give students a strong foundation for their futures. Today, I have the opportunity to talk with Dr. Gregory Washington, president of George Mason University. He leads Virginia's largest and most diverse public university, positioning it for long-term success as a beacon of educational access for all. Since his appointment in July of 2020, Dr. Washington has established new academic and entrepreneurial pathways for all Virginians. He's a renowned speaker on the subjects of STEM and the concepts of innovating educational experiences for today's students. A first-generation college student himself, Dr. Washington earned bachelor's and master's degrees and his PhD, all in mechanical engineering, at North Carolina State University. He established the American Society for Engineering Education Diversity Recognition Program, currently the nation's largest diversity recognition program for engineering colleges and schools. He's a former engineering dean at Ohio State University and the University of California at Irvine. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Washington. It is great to be here. That is quite an impressive background. Knowing where you came from and, 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 and the position you occupy now, tell us the story. How did you get there? Never in my wildest dreams as a kid did I think or believe or even fathom that I would be where I am uh, on this day. My childhood wasn't typical of most people who would wind up in academia with professorships that lead on to uh, deanships and then presidencies and the like. Uh, I grew up in New York City during a very difficult time in in, in that city's uh, sojourn. Witnessed lots of difficult things. You know, but when I look back at that time, it's really interesting. I was never the smartest. I was never the fastest. I was never the strongest. I'm, and in fact, my best friend was a better student than I. He was bigger. He was stronger. He was faster. I looked up to him. But the difference between he and I is that he made a decision that I did not make. And when uh, he started selling drugs, I he asked me, did I want to do it with him? And I told him I did not. And that decision set our paths on a very different course. My life continued to progress upward. I had the benefit of really good coaches and really good educators. And that's where my love and support of education came from. There was always a teacher or coach or someone who would steer me on, on the right path when it looked like I was going astray. And, and when that didn't happen, it was my mother. And so I left New York City. My mother took me out of the city to keep me from getting in trouble. Went to North Carolina, went to school, did uh, most of my high school there, although I did come back to New York one time in high school and uh, was fortunate enough to run into some really good teachers who recognized that I had academic potential and put me in a magnet program. And that started my direction formally in mathematics and science. I always had it. I was always the kid that no matter what I was bought would take stuff apart. My mother would only buy me Tonka trucks for Christmas. (laughs) <laughs> because she felt that those were indestructible enough because no matter the toy, I take it apart and take parts from one and parts from another and, and make things. And so one of her friends told her, cause she thought I had some kind of mental issue. Could it take the toys and take them apart? <laughs> one of her friends told her, she said, no, I actually think he might be an engineer. God bless good moms who make whatever sacrifices it takes to put you in the best situations to succeed. So along the way, uh, you mentioned a couple of people who were really influential, your mom, coaches, some educators. In anyone's journey, there are a couple sort of critical moments where you became an engineer instead of some other path, or you, you went into academia instead of some other path. Like, are there moments in time or in life that stand out as, as key turning points? Yeah. This also happened in North Carolina. And, it's, you know, North Carolina summers are very hot. 
very hot, very humid, and group of friends and 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 myself and one and one cousin, we would go to construction sites during the summer to look for work. And you know, a construction site always needed strong, scrappy kids to carry bricks and load water. And those were the kind of uh, labor intensive jobs that we were able to get. You know, you got paid minimum wage by the hour. And the great thing is they paid you at the end of the day, which for a kid, fantastic, right? You get, you literally got money every day you work. And uh, I was working on one job site and there was a trailer outside of the site. And every so often, person in the trailer would come out he had on his little hard hat and he'd come out and go to the brick masons who were working and he would chum it up with them and he'd go back into the trailer. And that trailer was air conditioned, man. It was, it, it was so cool in there that when he opened the door, you can literally feel the cool air. We set up our station with the bricks right near the door, right? Anyway, I, I asked one of the brick masons, I said, hey, who is that guy? And uh, he said, that's the engineer. You know, he comes out, he supervises a project, he designed a project, and he makes all the money. And I said, okay. I said, we're out here and he's in there, the AC. And he makes more money? Oh, yeah. I, I, I think I know what I'm going to be <laughs> when, I go, when I get older. And that was my first connection to engineering. Uh, that was the very first time that I started to think about it as a profession. And I'm really glad I did. How powerful is that just to see that such a path exists? As you run an institution now, right, you get the chance to help mold and shape the lives of countless kids and more and more adult learners and those returning to education. How do you think about, you know, creatively engaging those adults and showing them, highlighting those paths, right, that maybe they haven't seen yet? I believe it's critical. The reality is that there are somewhere in the neighborhood of 39 million Americans, adults, with credits, college credits, but no degree. And there are more than 150 million adults over the age of 25 in this country that don't have a bachelor's degree. And I do believe that who you see at key points in your life and what you see them doing and the effect that that has on you is an indicator of the kinds of things that you do yourself and the kinds of things you pursue. It's not a brilliant notion, there's a reason why our young people want to be that athletes and entertainers, right? Because that's kind of what they see, right? You show them positive images of people in professional uh, walks of life who are doing well, and, and more people will aspire to that. One of the things we stress here is that we got to get out and talk to people. You got to get out and go into communities. You got to get out and show people what's possible. Because if you cannot see it, you cannot be it. Tell me a little about the uh, Mason, Virginia promise. That seems pretty distinctive to, to GMU. There are significant numbers of people in the country that are being left behind. The Mason, Virginia promise is a promise of a pathway towards an advanced degree or your own business for every Virginian that wants it. Not everybody can get into George Mason, but if you can't get into George Mason, you can get into a community college and we have the strongest established pathway from community college to a four-year degree in the country. And so we can help you no matter where you are. And if you say to yourself, I don't want to go to college, I want to start my own business, I want to do it that way, uh, there are 27 small business development centers uh, that are spread throughout the state, the Commonwealth of Virginia, and we uh, manage every single one of them 
And so we can help you in that regard as well. The, the Mason Virginia promise is really a promise towards success. And, and, and our goal is not necessarily to be an institution that produces degrees in the back end, but an institution that produces success. I love that framing. The, the job isn't to produce degrees, it's to produce success, better outcomes. Far too few folks I talk to in higher ed see it that way. And uh, I really appreciate that sort of framing of that. Jim, you obviously is a traditional institution in the sense that, you know, you're serving a population that's full of younger students, you know, coming out of high school, going straight to GMU. How do you talk to those students about the importance of college completion? How, how do you help them expand their dreams and have a bigger perspective beyond the one they entered with? You know, the, the, the reality of that situation is that we're not talking to our students enough about the benefits of higher education and the benefits of an advanced degree. And, and, and the reality is there are many. You know, there was a time where the United States, uh, about two decades ago, was number one in the world in the percentage of young adults with a college degree. We've, we've now dropped to number 16. If you were to ask today the perceptions of higher ed, 95% of the American public back in 1980 thought higher ed was a public good. Today, that number is below 50%. And you're getting all of these images from companies and corporations that say, come work for Google. You can work for Google without an advanced degree. And Google will go out and they'll hire a few thousand people without advanced degrees, without a college degree to come work in their facilities. But what they won't tell you is that on the other side of that ledger, they're hiring 50, 60, 70,000 people with engineering degrees yeah. to come and do the work that they're really paying the big dollars for. And so I had a meeting with the CEO of a very large bank. He was talking to a group of, acad of us academics, uh, academic presidents. And he said, you guys, you know, even at my bank, we're now hiring people without advanced degrees. And I asked him, I said, what are you hiring them to do? And he hemmed and hawed in a little bit. But at the end of the day, they were hiring them for some of the lowest level jobs in the bank, bank tellers and, and the like. And that's a good thing. I don't want to downplay it. But the real high quality jobs do require a degree. And that's the message that we have to ensure that we get out there. Look, the reality is, if, if you look at the latest data from the Georgetown Center for Education and the Workforce, you know, in 2017, the, the economy required somewhere in the neighborhood of about 37% of advanced degrees, bachelors or higher. 37% of the, the number of good jobs required that they have that degree. In 2027, it's projected that that number will be 46.5%. So in order to get the really good jobs, the really high paying jobs, the bachelor's degree will be required even at a higher rate than it is today. But that's not the message that our youth are getting. They're getting a message that you don't need a college education. So, so one of the things we have to do as, uh, as academics is start to emphasize that, yes, there are multiple pathways to success. There are multiple pathways for you to become a successful uh, individual in this country and pursue the American dream. The most successful pathway the pathway that pays the biggest benefit for the most people is still 
through the pathway of higher education. And there's lots of data out there to highlight that and, and, and yeah. show it. Just got to make sure people understand that information and are uh, employing it in their lives. We talk about this all the time. I mean, our, our, our company lives in that data set. Uh, we talk about ROIs and guaranteeing how much students make when they graduate. So people talk a lot about the inflation of the cost of college over the last 30 years, you know, since 1980, and nothing's inflated more. But the average student's going to borrow seven grand a year, spend five years going to college, and they'll graduate 35 grand in debt. And, and that is a Kia, right? 35 grand. And you, you're given, you're stealing my thunder. Because <laughs> the same Georgetown CEW study is going to tell them they're going to make a million four more by graduating college. So if you would sell me a Kia for a million four, then you should probably go to college. That's exactly right. And here's the flip side of that. That college graduate will make more than double over that person's lifetime than the individual who graduates without a college degree. It is indeed a fallacy that the value of a college degree isn't worth at least what it was worth 20 years ago. My contention to you is that it's actually worth far more, especially if you're in the right majors. 47% of the jobs in this country today are at risk to go away due to automation. 47%. And so if you are involved in one of those jobs, you're going to see over time that human power will be replaced by computer power. Either it's a robot doing that job, or you have what's called robotic process automation which means that a computer is actually uh, doing it and in, in replacing the human. And so what jobs then will be available? It will be those jobs that require higher level critical thinking skills. And those are the kind of skills you get at an academic institution. We often frame the conversation of college around higher salaries and more opportunities. Sometimes I think we would do ourselves a service to talk about the fact that when you get a degree, it doesn't just change your upside. It also raises the floor of what you're going to earn. So if you don't have a degree and one year in 10 in America is an economic downturn, whether that's 9-11 or housing crisis or pandemic or as a normal cycle, if you don't have a degree, you get laid off. And then you spend the next nine years working your way back out of that hole. And then you get laid off again. And you kind of just can't seem to get ahead. If you have a degree, in that down year for the economy, you just had a flat year. And then you go back to compounding. You go back to getting raises and you, and you get to continue leveling up. The raising of the floor of outcomes that a college degree provides, it, it's in effect insurance against your future career. It does more to move people consistently into the middle class than anything that we have ever seen in human history. And that, that thread gets completely lost. Kids come up with a million reasons they think they don't need to go to college now. And it probably works fine until there's an economic downturn. And then you see K-shaped recovery in the pandemic. People with a degree worked from home. People without got laid off at a rate worse than the Great Depression. Yeah, not only that, not only did they get laid off at a higher rate, they actually had to go to work, right? And so if you were in that top 20% of, of income earners, they actually worked from home. And if you were in the bottom 20% of income wor workers, you actually had to go out and brave the elements relative to the pandemic. And it's one of the reasons why you saw much higher rates of infection amongst individuals and no social economic strata, right? It's because they actually had to go to work and had to be exposed to the virus. And so we don't talk about that often, but it is that that was indeed an issue. Again, another plug for getting an advanced degree. 
when we talk about sort of the challenges higher ed faces, whether that's online distribution of classes, whether that's student loan crisis, which I think is mislabeled, I think it's college completion crisis. The, the majority of people who default on their student loans borrowed less than 10 grand but didn't graduate. Like that's who can't pay it back. If you, if you graduate, it works. But here's the secondary part to that stat you gave. The individuals who borrow most to go to college are the individuals in the highest tax bracket. So you, you would think that isn't the case, but if you look at people in the top quartile, those have the highest borrowing rates. So one of the reasons why I was, uh, you know, I had real struggles with the whole student loan forgiveness program, unless there was some sort of income-based attachment to it, because the the largest amount of borrowers are those at the higher income levels, right? Yeah. And that makes sense. And you, you think about it this way, if you're at a lower income level, you usually will get aid, either in the form of grants, you get the Pell Grant, you get other uh, need-based grants from academic institutions. You have a host of institutions in this country that will meet 100% of your need, usually with grants or scholarships that are need-based. And, and so you wind up having less need when you're at a lower economic strata with those individuals who are in the higher entities, they actually, they get less in aid. And because they get less in aid, they, they wind up borrowing more, but they realize they exchange, right? The yeah, exchange yeah. for them is, yes, I am going to graduate with some debt, but I'm going to graduate with a credential that if it's the right credential, puts me in a position to be able to not only pay that debt, but to actually truly live the American dream. Earlier this summer, you led the formation of the 120 initiative to reduce gun violence in the U.S. And obviously, that has been a big issue on college campuses where there have been a number of incidents of violence. Can you tell me more about that initiative? And that's just so unique to you know, GMU and your specific leadership. What are, what are some of the you know, actionable solutions that the initiative's working on? How did it come together? Tell me a little of that story. There is a well-kept secret, and that is that there's a significant amount of gun violence happening on college campuses. And uh, oftentimes uh, that violence results in suicide. And so we took a look at the number of deaths in the U.S. every day from gun violence and found a number is about 120 people a day are dying in this country from gun violence. And, and so we started that initiative to look at non-political solutions to help us solve this problem because it, it was affecting our students. And we had had three people take their lives uh, with guns and one here, and uh, these were students. And uh, at, at that point, I said, there's got to be something we can do. I actually reached out to a close friend of mine, President Daryl Pines from the University of Maryland. And I said, look, we got to do something about this. I have an idea. What if we ask our faculty who are literally paid to think and to come up with brilliant ideas and solutions to the world's grand challenges? What if we ask our faculty to come together to come up with non-political solutions? And the reason, uh, you know, the political solutions sound so easy, right? Just ban guns. If you just ban guns, the whole problem goes away, right? And then you wind up going into the Second Amendment issue and you wind up having discussions that really are not addressing the problem, right? It becomes very, very political. So we said, okay, let's take that off the table. But whatever else you can come up with is fair game. 
so Daryl liked the idea and he proposed that maybe we should take it to the, there's a consortia of universities, some 18 or so universities in a greater Washington metro area. And so maybe we should take it to the consortium. And these are, you know, universities that many people know, Georgetown and uh, American University and Howard University and Catholic University. So really good institutions in the greater Washington metro area. And when we took it to the consortium of those institutions, everyone got on board. Uh, what we found then is that all of us were dealing with gun-related violence to some degree, recent gun-related violence. Because we were all dealing with it, everyone was open to having our faculty work on finding solutions. And so that's kind of where we are now. Uh, we have uh, a symposia coming forward where those solutions will be presented. I can't remember the exact date, but I do know that uh, we have a working group uh, from the uh, universities is now in the hands of faculty. And, you know, these, you know, solutions uh, along the lines of different campaigns to move people away uh, from the utilization of handguns. We watched the campaign against smoking change a whole generation of young people and move them away from cigarettes. That happened during my lifetime. And if it wasn't for, you know, the vaping phenomena and the craze that came along, okay. we would probably still have relatively small numbers of uh, students that don't uh, get connected to nicotine because they don't smoke in the first place. So, so we know that there are solutions out there that are non-political. And the goal is let's pull people together and let work on it. I, I applaud you. I mean, just hats off for taking on that. It's not a little challenge. And, uh, and you're right. You, you, you have at your fingertips, you know, some of the smartest people on planet Earth. What, what a great resource to put to work at. I love that. This podcast is called Rebuilding the American Dream, and we've talked about, you know, your story, sort of living that American dream, and we've talked about some of the problems that America's dealing with and how you're helping to address some of those. But what does the American dream actually mean to you, and what do you think it's going to mean for that next generation of students that's enrolling at GMU today? You know, that's a really good question, and I pondered this one uh, for quite some time. And what I think it means for me now and what I think it'll mean for them are actually different. For me, it means living a life where all of your primary needs are taken care of. I don't spend time worrying about basic needs, food, clothing, shelter. There may be things I want that I can't have, right? Sure. But I got everything that I need and then some. I have, and I have the overwhelming majority of what I want. Uh, and so that's one part of it. The second part of that dream to me is being able to have, to make an impact in the lives of others. I told you that throughout my life, I can look back at critical times in my life, critical, uh, where critical decisions needed to be made. And I noticed that there were people there for me. You know, when I decided when I was going to go to grad school, or when I decided I was going to go to an undergrad, and what major I was going to take. And there were always people there other people there to help. And uh, I feel that I have not just a mission, but a responsibility to A, be that for others, as someone was for me, but B, put in place systems and pathways and initiatives and programs to reach as many young people as we possibly can and ensure that they have somebody there for them. To me, that's another big part of that dream, that you're, 
you're, you're not just living this life, but you're living this life the right way. Clayton Christensen, who was a famous Harvard professor, he, he wrote on how do you want your life to be judged? He's got a really kind of, his focus was similar, sort of a, there's, a, there's a character component to, to live in that dream. What advice would you give for young people contemplating college or, or looking to expand their access to the American dream more generally? What's the advice when they come see Dr. Washington, right? And they're thinking about GMU. What is it, what is it you, you tell them? I tell them two things. And uh, I have this discussion with students all the time. Number one, find a major that you enjoy, but that also can lead to employment and a job career pathway on the back end. If you can't find that, then find something you can tolerate and get your degree in that. And then your passion and your love and these other things, do that on the side. Your job doesn't have to be your passion. I have had jobs that I did not enjoy. Your job does not have to be your passion. Your job is a way for you to support yourself. And, and, and your job can actually be a means to support your passion. And so these two things don't have to be the same. And I think we rob people when we tell them that they do. They do not. Man, I, I love that so much. I, I, your, your profession is not your identity. It doesn't have to be. Not. And, and confusing exactly right. those two leads to bad outcomes. And, and a college degree is an investment in your future right. that you should treat it as such. You want it to deliver positive ROI. Making the investment and then saying, well, I don't care how it performs is kind of a wild concept to me. So, so, so these are the discussions that I have with young people. So find something that can deliver to you a career that you can then use in your, li in, in your life to support yourself. And the other thing I tell them is that you were bought and paid for with a price. The, the, the reality is for all of us, somebody sacrificed for us to be here. It could be someone as simple as your parents. And you don't realize how much parents sacrifice until you're a parent. Yeah, oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I can tell you as a kid, I didn't realize it, but I realize it now. You realize it when you have to do it. And I look at my kids sometimes and I say, man, I would love to live your life. <laughs> you know. But the reality is to whom much is given, much is required. You were bought and paid for with a price. You have something that you have to give back to help others. There is something that you need to do to help benefit the life of somebody else. And if everybody did that, even if it was just one person, imagine how much better a world uh, we would be in. Wouldn't you want to live in that world? Oh, without question. Uh, Dr. Washington, I, I want to thank you for coming on with us today and, and, and sharing with us a bit of your story. It has been an absolute pleasure. You've been listening to me, Wade Ierly of Degree Insurance, and this is Rebuilding the American Dream. Find out more on our website, americandream.fm, or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Degree Insurance. Until next time, goodbye.